Good morning. It's good to be with you. Glad you're all here. I have just a few announcements before I get into the sermon. Um, I will be closing the service off, so maybe at the end we will uh, stand for prayer and um, Gary can just kind of have a closing song for us after after that. That will be nice. But first few announcements and then sermon. Um, so Tuesday evening, farewell for Nevins. Let's go to the pond. All right. The weather is looking good. Now, Wednesday evening, we do have prayer meeting. Often this morning is for the school fund. Birthdays and anniversaries. Silas Grubbs has a birthday tomorrow. And John and Andy Lane have an anniversary on Tuesday. Alright, so for a message this morning, I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 4. I've been preaching through 1 Peter, and the last sermon I preached went into chapter 4 a little bit. And if I could go back in time, which would be a handy thing for a preacher to be able to do, I would adjust that sermon to end at chapter 3 and not actually go into chapter 4, because I want to look at all of chapter 4 this morning. Uh, I want to start by telling you a little story. A few years ago, I think this was after me and Colleen moved into the house that we're in now, a friend of mine called, called me on the phone and wanted to stop by, just to chat, I can't remember exactly why, and I said, sure, come on over, no problem. Actually, there was a little bit of a problem, which is that our house was kind of a mess. It wasn't real presentable. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't up to, uh, yeah, you know how these things work. So we rushed around, and he was on the way, on his way, and it was going to be there in about 10 minutes, so we rushed around and cleaned up the house frantically, throwing, throwing toys and books and laundry and taking care of dishes and just flying around. It was amazing how much we were able to get done in such a short amount of time. And, uh, of course, you know, some things were not getting taken care of, which is fine because he wasn't going to see them, and other things were getting hidden instead of being taken care of. But uh, when he showed up, um, you know, really, we were in pretty good shape. And uh, probably gave him the false impression that this is how things always look. But um, what I was thinking about with relation to that little event was um, how, how much we were able to get ready, given the amount of time we had, because we knew a few things. We knew that he was coming. We knew that we had a limited amount of time. We knew that some things mattered and other things didn't really matter that much. Um, even though it would have maybe been nice to mow the yard, it just wasn't time for that. You couldn't do everything. And it wasn't as important as, for example, taking up or getting the dishes off the table or, or whatever it was that needed to be done. And even though I liked shooting basketball, you know, I didn't spend 10 minutes out there shooting basketball while Colleen did all the work. So there was some, there was some deliberate choices about what needs to be done given the amount of time we have. And that's kind of the theme of the message this morning looking at First Peter chapter 4. He, he has... He, he talks about a number of different things, but kind of keeps coming back to this theme of, you know, there is, there is a limited amount of time, there is an end, um, 
And, and so I think the question we should be asking ourselves as we look at this passage is, how should I be, be using the time that I have left? So let me give you just a quick run through some of the phrases in this passage that speak to this theme. One of them would be in verse 2, which talks about the rest of his time in the flesh, which is a reminder that we all have a certain amount of time left in the flesh. Verse 3 says, we have spent enough time living the wrong way. Verse 5 says, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And in fact, we're all going to have to give an account someday. Verse 6 talks about those who are dead. Verse 6 is one of those verses where Maybe depending on the translation you're using, it could almost look like the gospel is being preached to people after they have died. I do not think that's what it's saying. I think it's talking about Christians who are now dead, but previously had heard the gospel and had responded. Verse 7 talks about the end of all things is at hand. I think Peter is just saying the stage is being set for Christ's return. Verse 10 talks about us being good stewards of God's manifold grace. Stewards have to give an account someday. Verse 17, late in the passage, talks about the end of those who do not obey. There will be an end for all of us. So what should we Christians be doing giving, given the rest of the time that we have left in us? In, in the play. We were at a funeral yesterday for Colleen's grandpa. One of the things that stood out to me there at the graveside service was that the gravestone was already there, which I don't think is not what I typically see at a funeral, so he must have made arrangements ahead of time, had that plot picked out, had the gravestone, just, you know. He, uh, and it had their names on it, his name, his wife's name, his wife was, is still living. And had the birth date and, in, and nothing for the end date. And, and I was thinking, I was looking at it, I was, I was thinking, I think that would feel a little strange to me to have my gravestone sitting out in the graveyard somewhere, you know, with, with my birth date on and a spot picked out for me and the end date not written yet. But really, that is the reality for all of us. Poor Jesus could come back first. So that's maybe a little bit of morbid thinking there, but it's, you know, it's just the serious facts of life. Let's go ahead and read this passage. This is all of chapter 4. Reading from the New King James Version. <clears throat> Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, Arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime enjoying the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, 
that they may that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister to Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, He is blasphemed but on your part is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin with the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. <clears throat> so I think one of the main themes in this passage is what should we be doing with our time here? What should we be working on to prepare ourselves and each other for the end. And in this passage, I feel that Peter gives us four general assignments. The first assignment is to keep learning to think like Jesus. Arm yourselves also with the same mind, he says. So there are several notes I want to make about that expression. One is that he, Peter is writing to Christians. So this is something for followers of Jesus to keep working on, learning to think like Jesus. This is a post-conversion project for Christians. Another point is that he's talking about a way of thinking or an attitude or a purpose that Jesus has. So I think this means valuing what Jesus values and being willing, especially in this context, being willing to make sacrifices to do the will of God. The third point I want to make about this expression is that it is an act of arming. It is equipment. It weaponizes us, if you want to put it that way. People who, who think like Jesus are a serious threat to the kingdom of darkness. <clears throat> Christians who don't think like Jesus are not well equipped. Arm yourselves also with the same mind. And I, I think in verses 2 and 3, you kind of see the impact and the, 
outcome of people who think this way. They are willing to suffer in the flesh. There is a changed behavior. Even Christians who were previously involved in drunkenness and revelries and all of these this list here, they, they will change as they learn to see things the way Jesus does. And that's maybe an encouraging thought for us who have been Christians for a long time but still see uh, the need for change in our lives. As we keep learning to think like Jesus, God will change us also. So keep learning to think like Jesus. How did he respond to potential suffering? What kind of sacrifices did he make? What mattered to him? What didn't matter to him? What did he slow down for? You know, I gave a little story about us rushing around to clean up the house. It might give you the impression that I think we should all just be busier and more efficient and faster. And, and um, I don't think that's really a solution to being effective Christians. I think um, sometimes the answer is slowing down. A lot of times it is making time for things that take time. So the first assignment is to keep learning to think like Jesus. I feel like the revival meetings we had last week, which studied the teachings of Jesus on the Son of the Mount, gave us some insight into how Jesus thought about things and what he valued. Okay, assignment number two comes in verse seven. Be serious about life and prayer. Verse seven says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. The ESV puts it this way. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So we need to realize that life is, yes, it is very serious business. That doesn't mean we need to be always serious people and um, can't be lighthearted sometimes and can't enjoy jokes and, you know, I think for definitely should be room for that. Um, but, you know, there needs to be room for playing volleyball and a choir and being silly with your kids and all of those things. But at the back of all of that, part of us should always be remember or, or be kind of keeping this anchor that really life is serious. You know, we're all getting closer to the end. My children are growing up. There are needy people in our church. People are dying without Jesus. Satan is on the prowl. He was going to talk about that in chapter 5. And in, in the middle of all these um, stressful thoughts is, is the realization, hopefully, that we are not... We're not going to be able to do anything about this without the help of Jesus. We need Jesus to be able to be fruitful and accomplish anything worthwhile. And I feel like people who understand this, who realize that life is serious and there's urgency and time and opportunities are passing, find it a lot easier to pray seriously. I think that's People who really have this thinking in do not find serious prayer hard. 
that kind of person prays differently from someone who's focused on having a, a good time in life. So be serious about life and prayer. The end is at hand. Be serious and watchful in your prayers. Assignment number three is to love and serve the body. And we get that in verses 8 through 11. And Peter says, fervent love. He says, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, he's not talking about sins being ignored. He's quoting Proverbs 10, verse 12, which says, hatred serves up strife, but love covers all sins. And so that's not talking about sins being ignored. It's talking about uh, the effect that love has, which is the opposite of causing strife. It produces forgiveness and healing. The, the truth of the matter is, even though we're trying to learn to think like Jesus, and hopefully as we grow in that, we will offend and hurt each other less, truth is, we are still imperfect Christians, and we will hurt each other sometimes. That happens in a church. And so, uh, when one... But love will, will bring about forgiveness and healing instead of the kind of strife that just rips us apart. Peter doesn't say here who needs to be loving. Is it the one who has sinned against? Is it the sinner? Is it the observer? I think the answer is they all, everyone involved, needs to be loving. When the sinner is loving, he's concerned how he hurt another brother. He wants to make it right. It's not his top. Um, you know, he doesn't just dismiss it as, well, that person took it the wrong way. He should have taken it the right way. I'm sorry if you're offended. didn't take it the right way. That's not really loving. And the one who is hurt is also hopefully working on the progress of, uh, on the process of forgiveness. And he wants the one who hurt him to do better. He doesn't want him to be hurt back. He wants him to do better and be more effective and fruitful. We are on the same team, after all. In the middle of all this, the observers, who if they are loving, are not excited about newsy tidbits. Look at this trouble over here. You know, did you hear what he said? They are concerned and they want to see the situation resolved. That's how love works. That's how things should work. That's how love can cover, smooth out, resolve, produce forgiveness when there are wrongs done. The other thing Peter says to do is to be hospitable without grumbling. And he's probably is talking about, in this context, the persecution and probably some Christians being displaced, maybe some refugees. And Peter's encouraging the Christians to take them in and help out other, help, help, help out these suffering Christians and do it without grumbling. Now, why? Why do you think they might be tempted to grumble. Like, what are some reasons why you could imagine them grumbling about helping out these Christians who need some housing? It would, it would be an inconvenience. Yeah. Any other suggestions? Yeah, what do you think might, might call some, some grumbling or complaints or, you know, 
there's no perfect answer here. We're just kind of floating ideas. Loss of personal space. Yeah. Not enough space. Yeah. The reason that I thought we should do this little exercise is because I think a lot of the reasons they would have had for grumbling for housing these Christians are probably the reasons we also kind of bump into today when it comes to helping out each other, actually. <laughs> or helping out yeah, needy people. It, it can be inconvenient. There can be some expense involved. A loss of personal space. Loss of privacy. It's an extra work. These are things we can relate to. Grumbling comes very naturally to me. And um, so I, I sometimes just kind of automatically feel like I, it's okay for me to express myself. You know, if I'm feeling it, it's okay to express it. But Peter says, don't grumble. You know? And not only do I want you to, to be hospitable, I don't want you to grumble about it. I would like to tell Peter you can have your pick. You can either have me be hospitable, or you can have me not grumbling, but not both. But he says, be hospitable and, and don't grumble. So, not everything has to be expressed. Um, and he says, yeah, help out your fellow Christians who are need to get involved, open up your homes, be, be willing to share these resources and time and personal havens. Be hospitable without grumbling. And then he says, um, to summarize what he says about gifts, he's basically saying, use your gifts to serve. He kind of splits it up into two very broad categories, speaking gifts and ministering gifts. And he says, do it through God and for God, is how I'm summarizing him. The end goal here, which is in verse 11, is to bring glory to God, to serve the body and to bring glory to God. The end goal, which can sometimes creep into our um, effort. The end goal is not for people to admire our gifts in action. The end goal is to bring God glory and serve each other. So we need to love and serve each other. That's the third assignment. thing we should be involved in with the amount of time we have left. Love and serve each other. It's what the world needs to see. You know, Jesus says, by this, men will know that you're my disciples. And I, I think as we, as we love and care for each other, we also can experience God's love. I feel like Gabriel made that connection a few weeks back in, in your sermon from John 15, where, where it says, Keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And then the big commandment being stressed there is loving each other. Okay, and then here's the fourth assignment. is to accept difficulty as natural for Christians. This comes from verse 12. He says, Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. So it's not actually, it is not actually strange for Christians to suffer. And you know, it is a lot harder to accept difficulty if you think that no one else has to go through this. You know, if you think that 
you're the only person that struggles to get his weed eater started in the spring, and everybody else's weed eater starts on the first try. That can make you probably especially annoyed at your small engine problem than if you would, you know, talk to me and share our suffering and frustration. It, it's a lot harder to, to, to accept some difficulty or sacrifice if you, if you feel like you feel like you're the only one. But it, it's not strange. It's not unusual. It's actually quite common. We're coming out of verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? And so those verses are saying it's far better to endure trials now as a, as a member of the kingdom of God, as part of the house of God, than it is to, to face the big trial at the end and not be prepared. He says the righteous are scarcely saved. It does, that does not mean that God can barely save righteous people. It means that, that the process of being saved does involve some difficulty. Jesus did say, take up my cross. Take up your cross, I'm sorry. Take up your cross and follow me. One of the things I'm, I'm just realizing as I, as I study this passage is that difficulty, and I know it's not all the same for everybody. Look at some people who look like they're going through terrible things, and other people who look like they've got it all easy. So, probably if we knew those other people better, we'd realize they don't have it all easy. But, um, getting back to my point here, is that difficulty is a natural an expected part of the Christian experience. You know, it would be a mistake for me to say all the bad things that happened to me were God's will. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe they were all God's will. But it's also a mistake for me to say none of them were God's will and everything should be, you know, just fine and, and uh, I shouldn't have to go through any hardship. That's not right either. I believe it is actually God's will for Christians to experience trouble. Uh, it's part of His design for us to become more like Jesus. I mean, if we're following Jesus and He carried a cross, wouldn't we expect some trouble also? Last fall, I decided to learn how to bake bread. And I, I go through these little phases that don't usually last very long. And so I thought it would be neat to be able to try to bake some bread. So I did try. Did a little bit of research. Learned a little bit about different ways you can make bread. I went with the easiest possible approach that would involve basically no kneading whatsoever was what I was going for. Because me and any kind of dough, we don't get along very well. It's just icky. I don't know how people do this. So I, 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 you know, I did actually bake some bread, and it, it was actually not that bad. It was very crusty. Uh, it, the, the shape was a little odd. The shape wasn't quite on. It looked a little strange. Anyway, what I learned in that process 
is that there's a bunch of different ways to bake bread. Some ways are very complicated, and some ways are fairly simple. But at the end of the day, it's not bread until it goes into the oven. All of the bread ends up in an oven at some point or another. Maybe the oven temperature isn't the same for all for all recipes, but all bread isn't bread until it's gone through the oven. So Christians, yes, I think it is natural and expected for us to go through some difficult experiences. It's a refining experience. Peter talks about that in chapter one, but our faith being refined. It's part of, of growing growing spiritually, being conformed to the image of his son. Now, he finishes this whole thing with, with, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And I would like some comments from you all on why you think he chose the word creator here, the last word in chapter 4. Why did he just say why didn't we just say, in doing good as to a faithful God? He chose the word creator. I'm sorry, say that again. It's a creative process. Yeah. Yeah. Any other comments? He will continue the work that he's doing in us. Yes. Reminds us of where we came from. Yes. Yes. He made us. He he knows what we can. What is he knows what we're made of. He knows what it takes to to recreate us. Uh, yeah, I like the way the answers I got there. He is a faithful creator, and so and he is working in new creation. So in conclusion, these are how how should we be spending the rest of our life? Do these things, and I think we will have a lot fewer regrets at the end. The four assignments that I picked out of chapter four is to keep learning to think like Jesus. Next, keep I'm sorry. Next, think seriously about life and let that fuel your prayer life. Thirdly, be in Involved in the body with loving service, and fourthly, expect difficulty and trust God with it. All right, let's stand for a closing prayer. And after this prayer, you can remain standing and we'll sing a song and then we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for. Um, fact that you are a faithful creator and, and you're doing the work in us. And uh, I thank you that we can trust you with that. Thank you for the example of Jesus. And I pray that we would all learn to, to follow that example more closely. I pray that you would uh, also teach us uh, and, and help us to, to be abiding in that relationship with Jesus. Um, listen to your spirit and, and choosing the, the cross 
himself, put himself on the cross, choosing you. I just pray that um, as we go into this week, that you would, would bless us and continue to uh, shape us. Help us to be serious about prayer. Help us to be serious about using our opportunities to bring glory to you. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust you through all of this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.